You're listening to 128, a podcast about spiritual maturity, real people, real talk, real life. Welcome to 128, based off of Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, which says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. In this podcast, I interview those who are spiritually mature so that we can learn from their journey of faith and apply some principles to our own lives. Today, I have the privilege of interviewing Richard and Kathy Hilliard. And uh, you're going to enjoy this interview with Dick and Kathy. Spoiler alert, there's a great story in there about Gregory Peck and Grace Kelly. But I think you're going to really enjoy the process that they came to faith in and uh, and all that God is doing in and through them since. So without much further ado, let's uh, have a conversation. Dick and Kathy Hilliard, thank you guys so much for being a part of 128 and allowing me to uh, to interview you. Um, for our listeners, uh, Dick and Kathy have been coming to Grace Point, previously Naperville Bible, for 18 years. 18 years. I told my wife, Melissa, that I was going to be interviewing you, and she remembers the first time that she ever saw you. And you were mowing our lawn the day that we moved into our house. Dick. She was looking outside and there was like, there's a guy mowing our lawn. And uh, so we're just so moved. You guys have such servants' hearts. You've been serving for so long. And um, you poured into so many people. I did a wedding, I think it was a couple years ago now, a couple who'd been mentored by you, a really wonderful couple. And so I know uh, how you've journeyed alongside of others. And so I just love that you're willing to let me uh, have a conversation with you and to learn a little bit about who you are. It's so, a pleasure to be here. Thank you for being here. Okay, so um, maybe let's start, because you've been married for 51 years, is that right? Yep. 51 years, my goodness. Um, so let's, we'll roll back before you got married, okay? So Dick, you said you were born in Washington, D.C., is that right? That's correct. Which, which area of Washington, D.C.? Northwest Washington, for anybody who's familiar with it, there was a National Park Service there, the Carter Baron Amphitheater, and they had great shows there in the evening. We heard the music coming across the street, so it was, it was on 16th Street, about five miles north of the White House. Wow. Wow. Now, this is, uh, there used to be a place in D.C. I used to go to D.C. quite a bit, and there was a little place you could stand and talk, and you would hear an echo happen uh, from your voice. They had kind of worked out all the uh, the audio acoustics. It was an outdoor thing. But I, the very first time I ever went to D.C. was for missionary training. It was to figure out how to exegete a city and how to navigate a city, you know, have the train stations and all that. And so um, I remember being surprised by D.C. only because uh, I remember thinking it's a lot, uh, I don't know, cleaner uh, uh, nicer than I anticipated it to be, and especially during the Cherry Blossom Festival. It's absolutely beautiful, stunning. We moved out here 41 years ago and went back for work the first time I flew into D.C. right at uh, National Reagan Airport, and uh, I had forgotten 
how beautiful it was and driving along the Potomac River, the cherry blossoms out, the, yeah. the monuments and the museums. The and National Mall is right there. It's absolutely gorgeous. It if is. you can get to the city or get out of the city, because that traffic is something. The Beltway traffic is legendary. It was a lot easier when I was there. Yeah. In the early 60s, we drove around the Beltway and wondered why they built it. It was the it was first opened and there was no traffic on it. Oh, and wow. They, They've doubled the size and uh, quintupled the traffic. So you grew up in a pretty legendary city. Uh, uh, only child? Siblings? No, I was the last of eight. There's of four, eight four children? Four brothers and three sisters. Oh my, my parents were good Catholics. My goodness, eight children. And how many bedrooms was the house? We had a pretty large house. There were six bedrooms. Six bedrooms? Six okay. bedrooms and... Uh, Three complete baths, two half baths. Wow. And, uh, what, what, what did your dad do? He was an attorney. Okay. Well, and, and D.C. is a good place to be an attorney in. And he was he was self-employed. Oh, so he so didn't he work for a corporation farm. or anything. He was self-employed. What was uh, what was your childhood like uh, with eight siblings in a good Catholic family and an attorney father in Washington, D.C.? I <laughs> I tell Kathy I don't remember anything until I was 18. Okay. <laughs> there was so much traffic through the house, but there was 17 years difference between me and my oldest brother. Oh. And there was um, – our family was very different than Kathy's family. Kathy's family and extended family did a lot of conversation, a lot of talking, and our family was close, but there wasn't as much conversation. And being the last of eight, I kind of missed a lot of the history okay. conversations of, of what was what was going on. Got it. When you were 18, did you stay in D.C.? Where did you did you go to college? I went to, to uh, vocational school. I, I went to Grove uh, Catholic. Yep. Catholic grade school, Catholic high school, Catholic college in Wheeling, West Virginia. West Virginia. West Virginia. Now, that had to have been kind of a culture shock to go from D.C. to Wheeling, West Virginia, right? You know, I didn't think of it as much of a culture shock because we had our, it was a small campus, and there's, at the time, there's probably 600 students. Okay. And uh, we had our kind of our own livelihood right there. And it was, uh, it was a close-knit group and enjoyed it and still have some friends from that time at, at the college. Now, my wife's family, our, her kin, are from West Virginia. And so uh, so having been through West Virginia and driven through West Virginia, that's some beautiful, gorgeous. beautiful yeah. country. But uh, but wow, my goodness, West Virginia. So what did you study? I, I didn't know what I wanted to study. So I started in philosophy. Okay. <laughs> and they canceled the major, so I switched to sociology. They canceled the philosophy major? They did. There's, there's some pretty famous people with philosophy majors, you know, like Steve Jobs, I think, was a philosophy major. And that's a good degree. And it really didn't. Uh, I guess it's a, liber it's a liberal arts college. Sure. So philosophy didn't prepare you for business. I think just prepared you to hopefully think a little bit and switch to sociology. Didn't know what I wanted to do. I got out of the out of college, went into the Navy for two and a half years. And oh, really? then, I, then uh, that's where I met Kathy. OK, well, hang on a sec. Well. Now that made you sound like you met her on a ship in the Navy, but hang on a second. So yes. go go back for just a second. So you, uh, first of all, how far into college did you graduate college and then go in the Navy? Was it midway through college? I graduated college and then with a uh, degree in what? 
in sociology. In sociology, got in it. Sociology. And then you thought, okay, I don't know what I want to do yet. Let me join the military. Well, let me back up a little bit. I had uh, one of the brothers I was closest to was 10 years older than I was, and he went into the Navy. And I just thought, I thought I wanted to, I wanted to go and do military service. Okay. Not sure exactly what I wanted to do, but I went and did military service and said after that, I didn't want to make a career out of it. But yeah, I wanted to do that to serve and then uh, get out and find out what I wanted to do later. So your choice of Navy came because you had a your 10 year apart closest relative was in the Navy and you thought, why not? And my other brother served. One of them served in the Marines. One served in the Army. OK, got it. And but this one was closer to age me. The others were. 17 and 15 years older than I was. Were, um, were you going through childhood, obviously strong Catholic background? Did that mean mass? Uh, did it mean, uh, what did that mean for you? What, like, was it, were you guys nominally Catholic? Were you strict Catholic? There's a variety of Catholic. There is a variety of Catholics. And I'm, I'm very careful about how I say this because we're now in a, non-denominational church but i grew up uh, with 16 years of catholic education mm -hmm. and we weren't went to church every sunday and a lot of people said they didn't like it but i went to church every sunday my family went to church every sunday sure. the rest of them were all very very strong catholics yeah i was a strong catholic back then and it wasn't anything negative about it at all and going to church was just something like you did. You, you you got up, you ate breakfast in the morning. Yeah, you went you to church. Today, you worked the day. You went to bed at night. You got up. That, that's what you did. You didn't. We didn't think twice about it. It's, did it's you, what life was. Was there a? I know that that was, for some, that's a religious thing, right? It's a part of life and the culture, and this is who we are. Uh, others, they really wrestle with God in the middle of that. Some consider seminary. Some consider. You know what I'm saying? What was your context? What was your conversation like in terms of faith? Um, your personal conversation with God during those years? The, the one thing is I found out later that I missed was I didn't have the Bible hmm. teaching that I found out later that I really wanted. And I didn't, my, my, rebe my rebellion in the Catholic Church was when I was in the Navy. I, I said, you know what, I don't know about this. So I skipped church one Sunday. And <laughs> you big rebel, you. I was, I was, I was a terrible rebel. Yeah. And um, how bad did you feel after that? I didn't feel bad. I said, okay. eh, I'll, I'll go back. Okay. It, 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 and it was, and that's, I think it was, it was around so the time that all I. All that Catholic guilt that's supposed to have built up. To, it, you know what? There, there really wasn't any guilt about it. Yeah. It was just saying that just kind of didn't seem normal. Didn't seem normal. Yeah. What years were you in the Navy out of curiosity? I was in there 67 to 69. Okay, those are some pretty tumultuous years in history, really. I mean, 67 to 69, that's not exactly, uh, e those aren't easy years. That right? was the in Vietnam era. That's right. And uh, I was on a, I was a weapons officer mm -hmm. in an air squadron, and we didn't go to Westpac. We were in the Mediterranean, mm -hmm. and I didn't serve, so I didn't, I didn't see any of the war or the damage, but I was with a group of people who had just come back. Yeah, from Westpac and from fighting in Vietnam and lost some planes and yeah, well, there's no people. way you could have assigned yourself, right? So right. no, my dad actually signed up for Vietnam. He wanted to go, and this is right around the same time frame, and uh, was skipped over in line. Was one of two in his basic training unit. He was in the army, 
to be sent to Washington State. The other person did wind up going to Vietnam, and he wound up getting sent to Germany, mm-hmm. and got out of plane because that's where he met my mom. So, uh, but wow, that's a, that's a pretty incredible thing. So there you are, you're going all the way through military, and you meet Kathy um, eventually. All right, Kathy, let's talk about your story because you were born in Norfolk. Now, for those listening, Norfolk. You're saying it right. Norfolk, Virginia, mm-hmm. uh, is actually spelled Norfolk. Right. Right. And very few people say it right if you don't live there. Norfolk, Virginia, <laughs> and it's right there on the water. It's a that's a huge uh, military navy base town. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Did you grow up in a military family? Or? I didn't. My dad worked for the navy. Okay. So as opposed to Dick's family, and having grown up with a professional father, my dad was a blue collar worker. Mm-hmm. He was a electrician by trade but not a tradesman and he worked for the navy department he went on destroyers and determined what kind of electricity things that they needed refrigeration and so forth so he worked in portsmouth virginia wow he caught a bus every day and went over there he had been he was from pennsylvania and went across the country came back ended up in virginia met my mother and that's where so she is she a native of norfolk she is yes and uh and they're both deceased now okay and you had uh you also had eight siblings. I did not. Twelve. You had twenty-five siblings. I had and a brother to, and a sister. A brother and, and I'm a sister. the baby. We're both the babies. One of three. So One the three. two youngest children. Three and three and a half years. Okay. And uh, what was the role of faith as you were growing up? So we started out Methodist and went to the church, but my dad was a very skeptical person, mm-hmm. and um, he came home one Sunday and said, "We're not going back anymore." Okay. And so that was the end of that until I went to college. Really? And I met my best friend, Bev, who was a young widow. She had two children, and um, her husband had been killed in an accident. She was going to start a college, and I started college, and we met each other our first year there at which, Old, which Old Dominion college? University. Old Dominion. Oh, Old Dominion. yeah. Great Good university. Right. Yeah. Why Old Dominion? It was in Norfolk. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, so stay in town. It was kind of like going to do, It was kind of like going to sure. um, COD. Okay. Know? And um, I was majoring in business. Okay. And um, Bev uh, had become a Catholic mm-hmm. and, and invited me to go with her. And um, there was something about kneeling when I went there that I felt close to God because as a little girl, I'd always knelt to say my prayers. Yeah. But we didn't have church for years. So I was probably 17 whenever, mm-hmm. when I started going back with her. And um, then after I met Dick, which is another story. Um, I, I kept going to the Catholic Church, but I didn't tell him because I wanted to do it on my own, not oh, well, have somebody I'm, influence me. Now I'm really curious. Yeah. Now I'm really curious. So so hang on a second. So you're at Old Dominion mm-hmm. uh, studying business. Right. You're attending a Catholic Church, which has this element of the sacred in it, mm-hmm. something about neo and, and my dad could get on the military base, mm-hmm. so I went to the chapels on the base because I had a sticker on my car and I could get into the base, a security sticker. So I was going to Catholic church on a military base. So what happens? You graduate college? Did not graduate. Okay. Two years. So you were there for two years. What happened uh, in your third year? Nope. Second year. year. I met Mr. Wright. Okay, so you met Dick your second year of college. Yeah. Your so, did I, meet, I probably met you my first year of college, but didn't marry you until after. Is that because his boat, were you, did your boat arrive in Norfolk? How did you find Dick? How, what? <laughs> so my sister, my, you know, when you grow up in a military town, you, you date military men. So uh-huh. my sister was dating a, 
was he a pilot? Yeah. She was dating a pilot. She got together a group of girls being my cousin, myself, and another girl. And we all went to a beach party down at Oceana, Oceana Beach in Virginia Beach. And he was stationed at Oceana Naval Air Station. Was that your first station? or your that way, After training, that was the first station. I got there and was assigned to a fighter squadron, a 14 fighter squadron in um they had just gotten back from Vietnam. So everybody else was for 30 days. I was assigned there and I met the new young officers in the squadron. We got around and he said, I've got a party tonight. You, you want to go? Want to go to a beach party? I said, sure. So you two meet at a beach party. And for whatever reason, right now in my head, there are, I have all <laughs> kinds of movies that are, you know, you know the classic, uh, what was it, Annette? that kind of beach party but i'm sure it wasn't that but still that's what's in my head um so you're at so a lot of people are at a party was it just instant connection and uh and love at first sight did we it just, take a while everybody just it? kind of was sitting around talking at that time you could actually have a cookout on the beach so okay. they built a bonfire and we cooked hot dogs and marshmallows that we cooked over the thing and then different different ones of them were sitting in different places talking and he and I just hit it off. And yeah. this is 1968. 1968. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you're short hair, military. Short hair. And I, I like it that way. So. Still am. In a, <laughs> in a long haired world at that time. Mm -hmm. So, um, so you hit it off at this party. Mm -hmm. You're still stationed in the military. Um, what happens next? So he actually drove me home that night. I was staying at my aunt's house and he asked me to go out with him the following Tuesday. And smart man. We had a um, we had a date to a sing along, which was a lot of fun. What's this, what's well, it was military group have in different settings instead of being in bars. They had places where you they would go and somebody would play the piano and people would stand around and sing and it was a lot of fun. So that great. was our first date. Wow, and it sounds like it must have been a pretty good first date because mm -hmm. there were more dates that followed after that. And uh, for just a short time, though. for just a short, what, how, why such a short time? Well, because we married 10 months later. Oh, so you met and married in 10 months. Mm -hmm. Now I met and married. That wasn't my plan, but. Well, that's okay. Yeah. yeah. I met and married Melissa in six. So I totally get that. So now you're okay. So you've met and you've married, but you're still in the military. Mm -hmm. And that means are you, you're about to be stationed in the Mediterranean. No, we were, I was stationed with the, with the squadron and um, it was going to, go on the med cruise in uh, in March of the following year. We met in May, March of the following year. And so we got, uh, we dated, got engaged on New Year's Eve, and we went on a family cruise, a, a one-day family cruise. And some of the other officers' wives on there said, Kathy, why are you waiting to get married the following year? Can I, can I? interject here that when he says a family cruise they had taken the aircraft carrier to Newport News and the families could come over there and then get on the ship and ride it back to Norfolk Virginia got it okay so it was not a family like our family but it was the military yeah and they had an air show and we got to see the captain's quarters and it was a it was a John F Kennedy aircraft carrier okay so it had 5,000 men would could be on that ship. It's a, it's a, it's it's a small city. Yeah, it's a floating it city. Football right. fields yeah. long, and so that was that day we came. Three football fields long. Three football fields. Long. Okay, so I'm still hang hang with me because I'm mm -hmm. I'm not sure I'm, I'm lost tracking. Yeah, I'm I'm <laughs> lost. 
I'm a slow traveler sometimes. So you're there, you're in Norfolk, you get married in 10 months. Mm -hmm. Do you, does your station change and you both move together with your station? Do you stay back in Norfolk as he keeps going? Obviously you're still in the military. Well, so. that's the, that was the other part of the story. We were on this cruise. It was a, it was a one day mm -hmm. cruise. And some of the other wives, doctor says, well, why do you wait till next year? Why don't you get married now? And you can fly over and meet the ship over in in Mediterranean and you can follow it from port to port. Oh, wow. So I had a, I had a girl in every port. It just happened to be the same the one, same my wife. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So did you see the whole. I went to eight countries while I was over there. Really? It was wonderful. I was a young girl. I traveled, started out traveling with another military wife. But then ultimately, very interestingly, when the, when air companies sell planes to the Navy, they put a, a civilian on to write reports about it. So ultimately, I started traveling with a woman in her early 40s who was the wife of a civilian. And that was really a lot of fun. We, we had a great time together. And so I would go, he would, he would always travel by the ship, but I would go with her to the next port. Got and it. be there and sh the women would stay together until their husbands would come in and then we would get additional rooms this sounds almost exotic right i mean this is like i took her on a six-month honeymoon right i yeah. mean everywhere and uh my goodness so okay so a sociology major and a business mm -hmm. major find each other and now they're all over europe and around the mediterranean which is a rough station it's a tough station and then you eventually wind up where when you come back well it, it, it was a, a big fairy tale because the first port we went in they dedicated the, the europeans loved kennedy to, they dedicated the ship in um grace kelly and gregory peck came on the ship with some of the other kennedys you are kidding we, we were as close we, as we are right now we were we were dancing together and they said honey why don't we cut in and she saved me. I would, I would, I would have been court martial if, if I had done that. You were going to go cut in on Grace <laughs> Kelly and when they, we, we, Gregory they, Peck. Basically, everybody was told not to speak to them, not to approach wow. them at all. But they were as close as you are. So I mean, just, just for folks listening, you don't have a sense of distance right now. But we are maybe three, four feet apart. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's incredible. So I mean, this is truly, this is magic time. Phenomenal. Okay, so you, but. Let's get you out of the Mediterranean. So you're in the Mediterranean. Are there any conversations on God coming up between you guys at all? Or is it just. So both of us were always pretty faithful to go to church. To uh, mass? Once, yes. Okay. Once we met and continued on, we we stayed faithful in church always and church service, too. And we were always in a Catholic church. Now, what have you would you both have considered yourselves or especially knowing what you know now, would you say that you were both followers of Jesus at that time or just religious? Just religious. Okay. I mean, just, just faithful, doing good. Got it. Doing, so, and I don't even think we knew said the words like we're doing good to get into heaven. It's sure. just, I think we were both, you're just good. checking. We all were both boxes. good people and we, yeah. it was the right thing to do. I mean, this is a pretty amazing experience so far. And uh, here you are, you're checking all the boxes. And you're young and you're seeing the world and you're dancing next to Grace Kelly and Gregory mm -hmm. Peck. And and uh, eventually you get out of the military. You serve one term. Third one term. Okay. And what, so what year do you get out? The end of, 16, oh, end of, end of 69. Okay. I found a job up in my hometown, nation's capital. Doing what? 
I I got a job with uh, the federal government general services. Okay. And I was there for like 33 years doing real estate and then logistics um, for that for that whole time. NDC. So you it NDC that was for the first 10 years. For the first 10 years. Oh, so you served with the company for 33 years. But we served with the company for 33 years. But you stayed in DC for the first time. First ten. Got it. So you were coming back home, really, where you're, and you had family connections, obviously, and friend connections there from earlier, and all of that infrastructure. And DC is not too bad. It's not too far from Norfolk, so you were yeah. able to get down to visit hours, as well. Yeah. And so, describe those ten years for me. Do you do you start having children? Do you not have children? Do you? So while he was happens? working in the city, I was working for an insurance company. I processed claims for. Um, union insurance men and women okay. and um, drivers and iron workers and those kinds of things. Loved my job, worked there for a year or two and then we had our first child and then I was fortunate enough to be able to stay home. At that point I didn't work again until we came here. That child was born when? She was born, what year? Yeah. Uh, 72. Hey! Yeah. 72 babies. Yeah. Yeah. Those are go. great babies. Are. I'm just saying that's a great year. Right? And the last one was born in 78 and we moved here in 79. Okay. And during that time I was home with the kids until we came here and then I started working for a physician. Now is anything changing faith-wise in your lives during Not those 10 yet. years? Well, I, the first year we we were in the military, and the first year we were back, we lived in an apartment in Greenbelt, Maryland, and then we bought a house in Silver Spring, Maryland. So that's when things really began to change a little bit. And you talked about why did we go to church? We went to church because we didn't have to. We weren't rebellious. It was it was just a natural part of life. It's what it's, it's what, what we you did. did. It's, 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 it's what you the, did. Part of the rhythm. So when we moved to Silver Spring, that's when we got involved with a neighborhood church, neighborhood Catholic church. Mm -hmm. And we started serving there. And I, I guess you can talk about for all of our married life, except for maybe that first year, we were in small groups. And we got involved in marriage encounter and with younger couples we got in, in Catholic Church pre-Cana we the military came into effect then because the lady in charge of the Catholic charity said would you go down to the Naval Academy and give the pre-Cana conference to the graduates uh, as you said Buchana conference pre-Cana 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 pre-marriage so that the Catholic Church required the people before they got married to meet with a priest, a doctor, and other married couples. I thought that was going to, that's the start of a joke there for a second. <laughs> a priest, a doctor, and yeah. they walked into a bar. Yeah. So, yeah. so we, were, we were on a, a leadership team of couples that, married couples that went and, okay. and, and worked with them and talked to them about in-laws, finances, yeah. how are you bringing your children sessions. up. Right. So it was, Probably similar, maybe counseling sessions. But I, mean, I mentioned that because the funny part of it was, as we were there making a presentation, mm -hmm. it was a bunch of young, engaged couples, the this, the first classmen, and they were getting married. Kathy was very popular after that with all the women. There was probably 20 of them that surrounded her because we said, yeah, we got married. And when we got married, I went overseas and followed the ship from port to port. Uh -huh. and all, all the women 
ears just perked up. And the, I tell us about your adventures. How did how did how did you how were you able to do that? Yeah. So, so she she was uh, she had a lot of discussions. Well, that is young. interesting because you know in early marriage and early kind of married life, um, some people you know you mentioned it's such a blessing and being able to meet port to port and that intentionality of meeting up, but um, others would say, but what a challenge of having to coordinate and travel and have that be the start of your married life. So we had no home base at that point. We had no car. We and we lived off three hundred dollars a month. Wow. So very formative. Yeah. So we so I it. had to cut corners in a lot of different ways to be able, you know, take your rail and whatever to go inexpensively to travel just to be able to live off of that. So there you are, kind of life is trucking along for you. And uh, you're in your rhythm. You've got your small group, you got your service. We're checking all the boxes. You have a job you love and insurance, right? Dick, you have a job you love. Um, but clearly you don't stay there. So what happens? What shakes all of that up? So when I part of what I didn't mention as a young child, I had had a lot of problems with anxiety and fears. Oh. And so when we after we got married, that after a year or so, that became full blown. And so the got over that, got better and so forth. And then the opportunity to move out here was very frightening to me because we had, we knew no one. When you say out here, you mean Chicago? Chicago. So you had anxiety in the Mediterranean. No, I was okay. I mean, it was just, it started when I was like in third grade uh -huh. and there was just periods of it. Got yeah. it. Okay. So you would battle through it and yeah. then try. Yeah. But now the difference is that in Maryland, there was not only Dick's network, but also your network in Norfolk and you had all your friends and you were settled. It was all fairly predictable. Yeah, at that point, yeah. It, it was a big part of the story was I was in a job I liked, but I switched to get a promotion. Okay. To another building, and it was, I was in it for three years. The first year was okay. The second year was miserable. And the third year is indescribable. Okay. And I said, honey, we got to move. I can't, I can't stay here. And so I applied for I, two places I never want to move, New York and Chicago. <laughs> and so I, I went there. It's one thing I did in my life. I did with a purpose. I might meet people in the regions. And I met, did meet somebody. A job opening became available in Chicago. They asked me to apply for it. I applied for it. And the rest of that part is Kathy's story about she didn't want to move. But the reason we, she decided to move was because of one of the men in her small group. Well, there was another kind of spiritual thing. Part of it was at that time I was reading Guidepost mm -hmm. magazine. Familiar with that? Yeah. And after this man had challenged me that it would be good for me to make the choice to that Dick had always come alongside of me and helped me through some difficult things I'd gone through. What was I willing now to do come alongside him and go where he needed to go to further his career. Right. And um, so he came out here and he was working temporarily for a couple of months and I was left at home with these three little children. They were like two one, three, and what? six, maybe at the time. And uh, one night I sat down and two I, months that's quite a stretch. Yeah, I opened up uh, the girls were all in bed and I opened up the guidepost magazine and there was a picture of somebody on the bridge from where the train station goes to Dearborn, hmm. which is exactly where he was working at that time. And it was a, a story about somebody who had fallen off the bridge and somebody jumped in and saved him. And I, but I had been praying and I asked God to give me a sign because that's one of the things, you know, you look for signs right. at that time that we knew of. 
and it just came down like a curtain, you know, like, okay, that's a sign. I don't like that sign, but it was definitely a turning point for me making the decision to come, even mm -hmm. though I knew it was going to be difficult and it wasn't as difficult as I thought it was going to be, but you yeah, we build, we build things up in our imagination Correct. and kind of create justifications, right, for doing what we're going to do. So that's how I made, that was a little spiritual thing, that guy post magazine. Yeah, but what a big moment, right? Mm -hmm. Also in your marriage, because this is one of those moments where you're like, well, which one of us is, what are we going to do as a family? Where is this thing going to go? And um, what a great moment of courage. I wasn't teaching on submission then, like in <laughs> apples and gold, but I still felt like it was the right thing to do. That's right. You do teach in Apples of Gold, which is, uh, for those listening, Apples of Gold is a mentorship program for young women um, that uh, that happens here at Grace Point. Okay, so you, you come out to Chicago. As you were going to say yeah, something? Yeah, I want to mention one thing. is your fear of coming out here. We came out here the first Sunday we went to the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. And just a lot of things happened. God has been very marvelous in following us and leading us and directing us in many, many ways. That Sunday, some lady sat next to us, a long story short, she said, I couldn't sit down in church. I moved to seven different places. And then she said, I'm, I'm going to invite you to a meeting tomorrow. At that meeting the next day, Kathy met women who told her about It was what? newcomers at St. Raphael's. Okay. And uh, I became very involved in it, ultimately led it for a couple of years, but I've met and still am good friends with a number of the gals that I met through that. But this gal moved several times and invited us to come to their house for lunch after church, didn't have any children themselves and invited these people over with three children. Yeah. And uh, so that was kind of, that was a little turning point for us too. At that point, I felt more comfortable about this being the right decision to come here. Now, at that one meeting, you learned about schools, you learned about doctors, it's, everything just fell right into place. So God had prepared all that in advance. I, I want to pivot just quickly to uh, the convert your conversion story because one of the fascinating things that I'm hearing is um, you're going, look, we, we've done the very best of religion. We've been as probably a good a church goer as you're going to get. And yet you make the distinction where others don't. They, they, they either uh, just say, yeah, I've just always been Christian or they, you know, they have other phrases for it. But you go, no, no, we, we weren't followers of Jesus, um, but we were as good uh, in Christendom, as you would hope people to be involved with the church and serving and the rest of it. What, take me down the path of your journey to that moment where you go, okay, there's clearly, there's a step here that, that we've missed that we need to be obedient to. So um, our youngest daughter was um, about two years old or a year and a half at that she, time. She was just before third birthday. And we had been serving in the church. We were working with engaged couples. We went to a wedding mm -hmm. up in Milwaukee. We took the two older girls. We got a phone call and our youngest daughter had been bitten in the face by a dog. Oh, So we oh got home and drove home. She's fine now, but it was traumatic for me, a lot more traumatic than it is for a lot of different people. But that was, that was our conversion experience. She stayed with some friends overnight while we were gone. And um, they went to a relative's house. She ran into the room, tripped on the rug, fell on a large um, English sheepdog yeah. who bit her in the face. And ultimately, she had plastic surgery. She's fine. You'd never know it. She's beautiful. Um, 
How many stitches? Like a lot of stitches. Oh, he, she he got her in several places oh, above goodness. and down. Oh, really? Yeah. So she ultimately we took her to a good plastic surgeon, and there's you know like almost no scars at all. I, no one would even recognize it. But it was the turning point for us at then was just feeling real like how closely we could have lost her, mm. you know, and that was that was really shook our world. Oh, and, I see. So the I, so now. Why, why did that shake your world so much? What was it about the current world that you were in that didn't give you an assurance of that answer? Um, I, had, I had lost my mother when our oldest daughter was right after she was shortly after she was born. And she was my closest friend beside my husband. And so my, when, at, when the reality of something horrible happening to our child happened, it was just overwhelming, you know, that we couldn't figure out how to, how do we grasp hold of this, you know, and, yeah. and both of us felt very overwhelmed by it. Just, I was a wreck. Um, I can't explain why. My precious daughter is just ready to turn three years old. Three years old. That's and one reason why. She it that, it, it was, I, I would, I'd break down crying, getting on the bus, getting off the bus, riding to the train station. And it was like for two or three weeks, I just couldn't handle it. How, how did that, though, translate to uh, search for? It, it, go, it goes back to a small group that we had back in Maryland. Well, well what we, I wanted to share was about Bev coming. It, it, this is previous to Bev coming. One of, the, one of the ladies in the small group had recommended a book to Kathy. I had read it in Washington, but I remembered it, it was uh, by Catherine Marshall something more mm -hmm. and there's a story in there about Corey Tenboom being yeah. in a concentration camp yeah and when they were back there her sister told her long story but you praise God in all things I was a wreck and that was a my prayer I just cried out to God I said Lord I have no idea what I'm doing or why I'm doing it but the, the memory of that book and people who had minister to us came back and i had a it was my prayer at that time lord i praise you not quite sure why but i'm supposed to and then all these other things happened so the accident happened in february and march my friend bev who i mentioned earlier that i knew in college and mm -hmm. she was a widow with two small children one of those children was getting ready to go it was 12 now we're 12 years later okay, okay? and so one of those children she was searching out colleges and coincidentally, they lived in Minnesota. She came to visit Wheaton College with her daughter. And Dick picked her up at the airport because I was working at that time for a physician at night. And he went and picked her up. And she started talking to him and sharing with him because meantime, she had become a very strong Christian. Ah, mm -hmm. so God sends Send her back a again. follower of Jesus <laughs> into your life at a moment where you're at your rawest to show you a hope. And at the same time, he's taking stories of born again Christians and he's bringing those back to your minds and your lives. Mm -hmm. And was there a moment, did you do it separately? Did you come to face separately? So did you come to face together? So she came and she was here for a day, was supposed to be here for a day or so. Mm -hmm. And she called her husband and said, I think I need to stay longer. And she kind of poured into our lives then, but the following month was Easter week and the kids were gonna be off school. So she said, why don't you, bring the family and come to Minnesota. So we went out to their home for a week 
And during that time, she just shared and witnessed and taught us the word. And so I think for Dick, it was a little, he, he came to the point of conversion before me, but it was within that year. It was, it was three weeks after the accident when I cried out hmm. in, in the Bible, there's nothing about altar call. There's no, not, no, there's it's not, just, it's a heart it's surrender. Words, it's a heart change in that prayer was a perfect prayer. All it was was praise you. Yeah. I had no idea why, but it changed me. It transformed me. That was the moment where you just surrender yourself to God, was which it? is really the point, right? That's was it. You can't gain anything unless you lose yourself. And that was the moment where you said, that's it. I got nothing. And well, Shebeth had a lapel pin that said, Jesus is Lord. Mm -hmm. And I didn't understand that. Like Jesus is Lord or God is Lord or whatever. And I kept asking her, what does that mean? You mm -hmm. know? And so then she was teaching me that I had to, you could ask God into your life, Jesus into your life. But what you had to do is turn and make him Lord of your life. Yeah. He, he reigns. Right? right. Yeah. And so that just that, lapel pin isn't that interesting it's interesting yes. her conversion is very different than mine that was that experience and then i i was the one that listened to Bev most because i was most interested at that point in time because i did not know it or what i had done but that was my conversion experience yeah. the holy spirit was now inside you and you're hungry very simple prayer yeah so then and i think she went back by bus so i drove him down to the bus station on the way back um maybe once or twice in my life there's a presence of the holy spirit was in the car yeah and i came back and i think kathy probably thought i was crazy but i came back and said honey everything's different and she said okay i said no everything has changed she says all right i said you don't understand yeah i'm different in the second corinthians 5 17. yeah a new person i didn't know i didn't know what it meant but i knew that something in that car something happened god yeah. had changed you're trying to desire. describe a transformation that is hard to describe right that's incredible. It has to be experienced. So did you, were you both converted, uh, like I said converted, but did you both come uh, to Jesus as Lord, um, give yourselves over in, in, in a space of a year? Probably, Pretty but I, you know, Bev and I had been girlfriends in college and whatever, and I, I was skeptical about a lot of what she was saying, where he was saying, you know, he, his heart was more tender Yeah. when she was sharing yeah. and, and her husband and kids and whatever. She, he was more open to it. Yeah, I was not as open to it until a few months later. You know, as we started walking and learning, and and then you were like, okay, and studying and those kinds of things. Then yes, it was probably all with, within a year. What about what year is this? What is this context? 1981. 1981. So 1981, uh, things really change on the inside, mm -hmm. right? There's like a whole change on the inside. Mm -hmm. um, so what happens on the outside? Because now you're really starting a journey with Christ as Lord, right? You're baby Christians, um, still at uh, uh, St. Raphael. Well, there was, um, I was involved with uh, Full Gospel Businessmen for three years. And all of a sudden, after three years, we've been attending St. Raphael's. And I said, Kathy, I need more. I said, we need to get some Bible teaching. And I, I kind of said what's a what's a good way to get bible teaching i said how about church on sundays and i asked our priest i said what, the, what does the catholic church believe and i had to 16 years of catholic school and his response was very strange to me he said well you can go to this catholic bookstore and get two volumes 
It's 1,400 pages. It's all explained in there. I called up another church in Naperville. I said, what do you all believe? And they sent me seven pages of what they believe in the scripture basis for it. And so I went to that church on Sunday. So you weighed the seven pages against the 1,400 pages. Yeah. I said, this is this is a lot more simple. Now, by the way, sense. Now, some people listening to this are going to be confused. They're going to be like, wait a second. You were at a church, right? The church um, uses the Bible, but you're saying you weren't getting Bible. Uh how do you describe that? We get we get a reading on Sunday mornings, like I always did for 35 years. Yeah. And it was a reading and it was a 10-minute sermon, but it wasn't digesting yeah. and going through the scriptures and explaining it to you. Yeah. And so I said, Do you want to go? So I went to that church on Sunday and just things exploded within me. I, I met people and things happened. The sermon. I came back home. We took the three girls and Kathy and I went to the church and the prayers of the catholic church my mind didn't open i said whoever wrote these prayers is are beautiful yeah but i still need more in the middle of that church service i remember leaning over to her and i said this is the last time we're coming here mm. and from that day we went we went to we went to we walked in for goodness sakes walked into a protestant church and <laughs> <laughs> lightning didn't hit us we were, I needed yeah, to I don't. By the way, uh, I was trying to say this earlier, but but you are in no way disparaging any Catholics. No, I promise no. you, absolutely not. No, it's uh, this is not about that. They left. They gave us a tremendous background, a tremendous structure. This is not about that. This is about your journey of mm -hmm. faith, and it just happens to go through this this path. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, you God leads you to another church, and that, and you're hungry for the Word, and this is pretty common actually. So it's, it's an amazing thing when someone gives their life to the Lord, how hungry for the Word they get. Seems like you'd already figured out the service portion that helped you contextualize a lot of your growth and the connectivity that was really important. But now you're getting all this Bible and uh, prayer that's very different and uh, and context in a Protestant setting. Um, so what? Tell me what happens because I mean it's been a while. It's 1981. Now we're in 2020. That's a forty years of growth, right? That's a a lot of journey. Um, what would you say was the what would you say was the most difficult point of your change? Do you feel like you grew gradually after that for the next 40 years? Do you feel like you grew? I tend to grow in a step by step, right? Where it's things go well for a time, and there's a period of fire, and then I grow again. And when I look back at my previous history, now that's changed. Now it's more gradual. Um, but how do you view 40 I think for, years of I think growth? one of the things that I noticed for Dick that was hard was he had a lot, he had a really good base of friends in Washington, D.C. that he had gone all through school with and college and the guys, they had all gotten along really great together. And they were just being a lot of, you know, talk silly, talk, you know, had a lot of joke telling and sure. all that kind of stuff. And God was taking that away from mm -hmm. him as, as, you know, the way he spoke and the, and the yeah. comments and the jokes and those kinds the of language things. and all the rest uh -huh. of it. Yeah. And, you know, and there have been times when a lot of his friends have initially has, you know, called him reverend or, you know, pastor, you know, Richard or whatever, yeah. because it was hard because they still wanted to tell him jokes and he didn't want to laugh at them anymore. Oh, right you know, the bad jokes. Sure. And so, so that was something that was difficult when you say, how did that evolve? That was, those friends were knew when, a different man when than he was now. When I came back to that car ride and I said, things have changed. Yeah. What I meant was I, the, the language was, my language was different. I didn't want to do that anymore. I, 
didn't want to. I, I couldn't tell any dirty jokes. I actually cried with her in the family room one time. She said, what's wrong? I says, I don't know any clean jokes. And so, I, I mean, it, right. it, it really had changed. But the two really, two really, really important things are, one, we've been, the God has led us through four wonderful churches in the suburban Chicago area. We've been here 18 years and love it. But every one of those churches we've been to, this is a plug for Sunday school and fellowship group because every one of those churches we went to, we were in fellowship groups and we were Sunday school. And the way we got to know people, the way we grew, the way we fellowship is that we started in Sunday school in um, coffee. Yeah. In the coffee, you sit around, you talk to people. That's how you get to know people. You get to know them in the fellowship groups. And now that I'm teaching Sunday school, Kathy and I have this ongoing disagreement. She said, Dick, you always go long. So you need to start your class right on time. And my thing is there are people are in, it's particularly now with the COVID people come into the Sunday school class, they're sitting around talking and fellowshipping with each other. And that's how we grew. And I'm saying I could sit down and this would be a wonderful Sunday school class because people are fellowshipping and talking to each other and encouraging other and supporting one another. And we, we've done that for the, 40 years, 39 years that we've, that we've grown. But the, the second thing that has been huge for me in the church we went to after uh, the Catholic church, the pastor said just one innocent thing. Um, I've heard a lot of sermons, but this is one thing that had impact on my life. He said, you folks out there, he says, you need to have your personal time with God. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be, you just start with 10 or 15 minutes. And then let it grow, get longer as you go on if you want to. And for some reason, that struck me. And I, I like my sleep. I'm really not very good if I don't have my sleep. And I was getting up at 530 in the morning, but I got up 15 minutes earlier. And after a while, it was 30 minutes. After a while, it was 45 minutes. And then it grew to an hour. I was getting up at 430 in the morning. And this is a guy who likes to sleep. And so when we're men mentoring the young men, I also always ask them how the devotion time, because that personal time with the Lord is so important. It wasn't always great. There were some dry periods through there, but he went through it. And that that time, the fellowship time with groups, the people from the church and the fellowship time with the Lord going through his word um, are just two things that have sustained me over the last 40 years. Dick, you, you said something really uh, important there, and I, I, I want our listeners to key in on this, because really what you're talking about in both instances of uh, being in a Sunday school class and um, being in each other's lives and also spending time with Jesus and allowing that, re that relationship to take priority, you're really describing the importance of relationship with faith and that faith is inherently relational. Jesus is a person. He's not a system. And so a lot of people will spend a lot of time trying to teach a system when really it's about the person. And it's about how person, how the person of Christ is working in and through people. And so uh, part of the importance of sharing and being around other people um, who are on the same journey of faith is you get to talk about things that are closest to you. And, you know, the Bible talks about iron sharpening iron, and it talks about how key those uh, relationships are. That's a relational component. 
when you're talking about spending time with Jesus, it's funny. I just, uh, our life group is going through a book and we just talked about this aspect in one of the chapters of the book um, this last Sunday. Um, just that habit of spending time with Jesus is a way of prioritizing a relationship. Now, that uh, does in no way take away from being grounded in the Bible. If anything, it drives you to learn more about God's word. So what happens is a lot of groups uh, confuse what's driving growth. They think, well, we're just gonna hang out and we'll throw a little Bible in and that'll be, that'll, that's how we're gonna grow. And they get the hanging out part right because you are sharing faith. But the throw a little Bible in wrong isn't helpful because of the reasons that you already mentioned. 10 minute thought on a message, it's not enough. I, I long for something more. Mm -hmm. Other groups, they're like, well, we never talk to each other. We don't share anything about our lives. It's gonna be all the Bible. And you could kind of do it from reading a book or on your own or you know whatever it is. So you may get the presence of being around people, but really you're just focused on the information. And I think great faith is this combination of applied word in relationship. And so you're applying God's word in the context of relationship in small and in big ways over and over and over again and asking how other people are doing the same. And I think that's a large part of what drives growth. So it's it's a both and, um, you know, and that, isn't that just like Jesus who says what? First, love the Lord your God your, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But then he says, love your neighbors yourself. So it's both vertical and horizontal um, that are both keys to growth. And that's been a big part of Kathy's life, especially in the last, what, six, seven years with the Apples of Gold and the mentoring? Since um, eight, mm -hmm. 12 years. We kind of a joke in our Sunday school classes because we say it very frequently is that why are we studying the Bible? Why are we doing this? Uh, you know, and it always comes out, we need to remember. And why we need to remember is because we forget. Mm. And we went through uh, 13 weeks through the book of Deuteronomy a couple of years ago. And it was a real eye-opener for me. Of, um, And I always say that the uh, road to Jericho went through Deuteronomy yeah. because it was the preparation for it. We finished Deuteronomy. I said, folks, we're going to go on for another three weeks. I can't end here because the reason that Joshua and the Israelites of the next generation were so successful was because they listened to the Lord and they applied it. Every time we go through the scriptures and the word comes up, listen, there's an implication that listen. Listen means you have to be listening carefully, but it requires you to act. Mm. And this this uh, past Sunday we're coming up, we came up with uh, the study of Luke in the Transfiguration. And God said, this is my son. Just listen to him. Mm. And if we're not reading the scriptures, if we're not getting encouraged by other Christians, if we don't have other Christians there to challenge us, um, sometimes God speaks through his word. God speaks through our spouses. God speaks through other Christians to tell us that. And that's the other thing that we did, did here. When I first came here, it was September I think it was September of 2002. Mm -hmm. And it came here at a very good time. It was all God, God led because when I came here, 
they announced from the pulpit they were going to be starting a men's ministry of authentic manhood mm-hmm. the next next Wednesday at 6 a.m. in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I started going to that, and it really challenged me in my walk with the Lord. But through that, we, I got into a group with uh, four other men for several several years. And we challenged each other, and there's a couple of years in a row, we went away down to Naples, Florida for three or four days and just spoke into each other's lives and really challenged things. We each prepared to talk, we challenged things. Why do you believe that way? Why do you feel that way? It, it was speaking to other people's lives. And when we had other young men that were mentoring, we had a group of uh, three of us who were mentoring six men for a year. And next year we did it again. I said, yeah, I, I need to do that because one of them said, I'm a lone wolf. I don't get together. Men not only need their spouses, but they need other men to speak different things into their lives and the then their wives will speak. So so would you say that the thing you would warn people of is um, don't move, move so fast that you forget to understand the power of listening to God speaking through his word and through others and then applying what you're listening to. Really slow down, take some time, plan for it, listen carefully to what's around you and apply that. That's kind of what I'm hearing you say. And my big thing is I've taken me years and years and years to learn that God is not in a hurry. Yeah. He's been waiting for his bride for 2,000 years. So he can wait for us for another week, another month, another year, another decade. Mm-hmm. He's, he wants us to become more and more like him. And it's not instant. It's not instant. So it's a lifetime so it process. So requires, requires that listening and application. How about you, Kathy? If there's one kind of word of just a warning or just like, Hey, listen, I want to help you here. Don't, don't do this, do this. What would it be? Um, I don't know. I, I think we're, we, we are, I think we're built to pour into other people's lives and to come alongside them. So I think a lot of times we get so involved in our own lives that mm. we forget to look out Oh, that's and good. Yeah. pay attention. Um, for instance, if you walk up to someone and you say, how are you doing? And they say, fine. Mm-hmm. And you look in their eyes, and I'm I'm a, I'm a looking in the eye person, and I can say, no, you're not doing fine, or what is you know, I'm not sensing that. So, mm-hmm. my I guess one of the things that's happened for me in this past year that's been wonderful is actually Dick introduced me to it, and it, in the book is it's a there's lots of devotionals out there, mm-hmm. and this one has just literally changed my life. It's called New Morning Mercies by Paul David Tripp. Yeah, and. The thing that's significant about that, and I've I've used that with some of the other women that I've come alongside, is because some people say, well, I don't really know how to study the Bible or read the Bible. And at the end of each devotional, he has the scripture that he recommends that you read. And then he kind of tells it in, like, as you're teaching, you know, in terms that people can understand. And there's been morning after morning that that has witnessed to me, you know, mm-hmm. that I, what I do is I always choose to go to the end of it. I'm not sure why he didn't put the scripture at the first part of it, but I sure. flip over to the end and then go back and, and read that. So I've, I've used that um, just to probably be people be careful, but to just a lot of different things with justice and all that we've in the last year that we've started noticing that we are called to do that we can't go we can't be a missionary everywhere we can't go and do everything but what can we do yeah that's so so that's such a good word in terms of 
because it's so easy to be so focused on what you're doing and your life and your agenda and your thing. And uh, you do your study, you do your thing, you know, as opposed to really taking the time to say, no, I'm going to deliberately invest. I'm going to look around. I'm not going to take fine for the sake of fine. I'm going to probe a little deeper. I'm going to see what the scripture has to say on it. I'm going to use scripture as a way of um, entry into other people's stories. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, thank you so much for our time together. Uh, this has been fantastic. Uh, I hope our listeners have been paying attention. If you have, you've heard a lot of really important things, the importance of service, how God can use service as a part of your journey all the way along the way, a community, how God can use others to speak into your life and even help uh, begin uh, to introduce you to a complete change, to move you from uh, outside morality to internal transformation. How internal transformation is just saying, God, I'm at the end of me. I want it all to be about you. And uh, that's not a, a structured thing. It's not as if you you know, you know, take a class and suddenly, um, now that I've taken the class, I'm a follower of Jesus. No, it's a heart condition. It's, it's really what it's about. And then about being in the word and listening and applying and being in each other's lives. And um, Dick and Kathy, you just, you exemplify that so well, not just being in the lives of other people, but also just the way you approach service. And uh, really appreciate you guys. Thank you for taking the time to get today to talk to me. Thank you for having us. It was a pleasure.